All right, so today we have an opportunity to open up the book of Jonah, the book of Jonah, and uh, start our series on the book of Jonah. If you would join me in standing out of honor for God's Word, we're going to read from Jonah chapter 1, Jonah chapter 1. Our text this morning is Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. Verse 1 through 3. I'm going to read. Follow along with me as I read. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we do once again thank you for the abundant, unthinkable, grace and mercy that you have extended towards us. You have given us your word. You have given us this opportunity to hear from your word. I pray that you would do a work in our hearts this morning and that you would create in us a thankfulness and a readiness to proclaim your mercy to those who are still in darkness. I pray that you would do a work in our hearts and in our midst to create an evangelistic zeal in us through this series and this book of Jonah. I pray that you would take all of our pre-understandings and our pre-notions about this book and cleanse them away so that we can see truthfully what this book has for us today. I pray for the churches in our area, I think specifically of Grace Christian Fellowship here in the valley. I pray for them as they also gather around your word today, pray that you would bless that preaching of your word and the singing of your word there. We pray for those both there and here that uh, do not know you, are still in darkness are still living in an opposition to you, thinking themselves wise. They've become foolish. I pray that you would show them by your mercy and grace their foolishness today and call them to yourself. We pray all of this for your glory and your name. Amen. You may be seated. Is there a book that is more familiar to us than the story in the book of Jonah? Maybe whenever I told you we were going to go over Jonah next for our series, you kind of rolled your eyes internally, never externally. You would never do that. But internally, you rolled your eyes and you said, Jonah, a kid's story, kid's book. I mean, we all know the story of Jonah. I guess for a new church, this is good for us. Why don't we do something? Why don't we do something a little meatier, Pastor Paul? Something a little deeper. Let's get deep into God's word. 
as I've been studying and looking at this book, I want to encourage you, the book of Jonah has great depth, theological depth for us. In fact, can you, can you think of a story where it both engages the, the youngest, the simplest of us, and at the same time engages the scholar, those with great intellect. This story, I think as much or more than any other story in Scripture, reaches and impacts all audiences. And the message of it is one that I am praying Just to be very candid with you, I am praying has a powerful impact on us as a church. There's a reason that I've chosen this book here at the beginning or very close to the beginning in the infancy stages of our church. I am praying that as we look through this book over the next five weeks, God will do a work to create in us an evangelistic zeal as a church, a a compassion and an awe of the mercy of God that would create in us a desire and a zeal to reach the lost here in Spokane Valley. The book of Jonah is one that is familiar to most of us, if not all of us, but it is important that we take that familiarity right here at the beginning and we kind of brush the familiarity away. We approach this book with a, a bit of a pre-understanding. We, we know the book. We know the story. Jonah and the whale. That's right. Well, it's not a whale, first of all. It's a great fish, it's called. And that great fish appears in just a couple of verses. There's four chapters to the story of Jonah. And the great fish isn't the point. Jonah is a story that we are familiar with. Many of you saw the VeggieTales version, I'm sure. And I am not going to go off on my (laughs) hatred of VeggieTales. Nobody leave on that, but I cannot stand VeggieTales. But this is, what, this is what's happened, right? We all have these children's books with the book of Jonah or the story of Jonah or VeggieTales or some movie or cartoon that we've seen along the way. And these all work, sadly, they all work against us in, when we come to God's Word, actually seeing what God's Word says, understanding the message of this book. This morning I've chosen just three verses to begin our study of the book of Jonah. This is how it's broken down for us. The first three verses open up the book for us. And here's the main idea this morning. Here's the main idea. God commissions Jonah to participate with him in a mission of unthinkable mercy. God commissions Jonah to participate with him in a mission of of unthinkable mercy. Let's look first at Jonah's privileged commission. His privileged commission. Verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying. Here we have the word of the Lord 
coming to a man named Jonah, who is described as the son of Amittai. The word of the Lord is the Old Testament way of signaling that God's prophetic office, the prophetic office he has established for Israel, is in effect. The word of the Lord is, is seen as a character in the Old Testament. A character in the Old Testament personified. It, it, is, a, it is a person or described, almost seen as a person who goes and approaches the prophet, commissioning the prophet for God's service. So you see this phrase, the word of the Lord comes. You see this happening to Samuel. You remember Samuel? The young boy who was given by his mother to uh, the tabernacle, to serve there in the tabernacle. In those days, it says the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no open vision. The word of the Lord did not come to the prophets in those days. And Israel was left without a voice. Israel was left without a divine voice to speak to them. But in Samuel's day, the word of the Lord came to Samuel in the night, commissioning Samuel for an important task. He was to go and speak to Eli, the priest, and call him to repentance. We also see the word of the Lord coming to Elijah and Elisha. The word of the Lord comes and commissions God's prophet for his work. The prophet was the one who stood, this is important, the prophet is the one who stood in the presence of God. They are the ones who stand before God, ready to be sent out by his word to speak to Israel. 1 Kings 17, remember Elijah when he shows up on the scene to confront Ahab, he shows up and he says, I've come to you from the Lord in whose presence or before whom I stand. And Elijah has a word that he has been given by God for Ahab. The word of the Lord signals the prophetic office, the commissioning of a man to do God's work. And this is a, this is a commission of heavy responsibility. Heavy responsibility that will demand much of the servant of Yahweh, but with it also carries great privilege. This is a privilege to be a prophet of Yahweh. It is not an office that you would seek. The, the office of a prophet is not one that you would readily seek. It is not one that you would seek for vanity's sake. In fact, if a prophet speaks for vanity's sake, he is a false prophet. He has not been sent by Yahweh. He is self-interested, a man of self-ambition. But the prophet, the true prophet of Yahweh, is one who is sent at a complete sacrifice to himself. Sent in the most dangerous situations to throne rooms of kings who hate Yahweh and will readily be ready to kill the prophets. It is one, and if you read the Old Testament, if you read all of the prophetic books and, and look at the ministry of these prophets, you will see they are asked to do some very strange things. 
many times doing things that, that seem absurd, ridiculous. But through their life and through their ministry, they are to represent Yahweh to the people. And their lives even, their absurdities, stand as a condemnation upon the people of Israel. Jonah was one of these. That's what verse 1 tells us and signals to us. Jonah was one of these prophets. Jonah was of the heritage of Elijah and Elisha and Samuel. Jonah was a prophet of Yahweh. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, which signals to the reader, God has something to say. And he has come to his prophet, his privileged servant, to commission him for a task. Now we also see that this is not Jonah's first commission. This is not Jonah's first commission. This is not the first time that the word of the Lord has come to him, giving him a job. Jonah, the son of Amittai, that's very helpful for us because we see that he appears in another part of the Old Testament. Turn with me, if you will, over to 2 Kings 14. 2 Kings 14, and you will see that Jonah has been previously commissioned. This is very insightful. This is very helpful for us, so I want you to turn there. 2 Kings 14, starting at verse 23. In the fifteenth year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. And he did what was evil in the sight of Yahweh, in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Debat, which he made Israel to sin. Verse 25. He restored the border of Israel from Lebohamath as far as the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord. See that? According to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Gath-Hefer. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, For there was none left, bond or free, and there was none to help Israel. But the Lord had not said that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven. So he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. Jonah had a previous commission. And the word of the Lord came to him in this instance and gave him a word for a king, a king of Israel, the northern kingdom. Jeroboam the second. Jonah comes to Jeroboam the second and tells Jeroboam that God is going to extend the borders of Israel back to their Davidic lines. He's going to extend the borders of Israel again and bless, cause Israel to prosper in that way. Now, this message was given to Jonah to give to Jeroboam In the face of blatant evil and wickedness on the part of Israel. Did you catch that? Jeroboam the second has said that he did evil. Just like Jeroboam the first. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. 
They were wicked, and yet God had mercy on them. God, because of what He had promised to them, would not blot them out. And they were desperate. And so God, in His mercy, sends, catch this, it's very important, God, in His mercy, sends Jonah to the kingdom of Israel to speak mercy to them, mercy to them, even though they are wicked. And he gives them, he extends that mercy to them, even though they have not repented. You see that? So this is not Jonah's first commission. He has been commissioned before, and his task before was to bring a message of mercy to Israel, even though they were wicked. Jonah there in 2 Kings is called a servant of Yahweh, delivering a message of great mercy, blessing Israel even while their wickedness persisted. And this is a reflection. Jonah serves as a reflection of God's steadfast love to Israel. Even though they are wicked, he will keep his promises to them. He will not blot them out. He will cause them to continue. He will preserve them. It is not a light thing to be called in the service of Yahweh. And Jonah has worn that mantle. Jonah has fulfilled that privileged commission, the commission of a prophet. What a privilege Jonah enjoys. So back to our text in Jonah. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah, the the servant of Yahweh, and he has another commission for Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise! Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So we see Jonah's privileged commission. What is his message? The message that Jonah is to carry is a message of Yahweh's unthinkable mercy. Yahweh's unthinkable mercy. Look at the message. He is given by the word of the Lord. First, we see that it is an urgent message. Arise! Get up! Go! This is a message meant to be delivered with haste. It's urgent. It needs to be done right now. Cannot be delayed. Jonah, get up! Arise! Go! There's something very urgent to be taken care of. And we see that it is an urgent message of absolutely scandalous mercy. Scandalous mercy. Look at what he is told. Arise, quickly, get up, go to where? Nineveh. That great city. Now, Nineveh was not the capital of Assyria. Many people assume it was the capital of Assyria because later on you have a king, 
uh, Nineveh was not the capital of Assyria, but, but Nineveh was the first of the city-states there in Assyria. It, it was one of the chief cities. It encapsulated more than any other city in Assyria what and who the Assyrians were. It's like New York City. New York City's not our capital, but if you want to know what America stands for, go to New York City. Spend some time in New York City and you're going to see American culture lived out before you. That's what Nineveh was. Nineveh Nineveh was the example of Assyria and it was wicked. God wants Jonah to do the unthinkable. He wants Jonah to go to Nineveh, a wicked city, and cry out against it. He wants him to condemn Nineveh. That's what call out against it means. Why? For their evil has come up before me. Now, you could, you could understand evil in a couple of different ways. In fact, evil is repeated. This word evil is repeated several times throughout the entire book, as is the word great, by the way. Great city. We'll talk about that more through the coming weeks. But here, it says they're evil. Yahweh says, their evil has come up before me. I have become aware of their evil. You could translate this, understand this a couple of different ways. Is it that their wickedness has come up before Yahweh? Or you could also translate it, understand it as disaster. Their calamity, their consequence for their evil has come up before me. Here here it is. Yahweh wants his servant to go to Nineveh, an evil city, to cry out, to condemn it, because the evil of that city and the evil of the Assyrian people has come up before Yahweh. Now I believe that there is a double intention here. I believe that Yahweh does indeed see the evil of Assyria, but I also believe that Yahweh sees their disaster coming. He sees their consequence, the consequence of their evil coming. They will be destroyed. And he wants Jonah to go and to cry out a condemnation to them, which, by the way, this is important as well, the cry out of condemnation is in itself an act of mercy. Now, who were these people? The Assyrians. You probably know that the Assyrians were the enemies of Israel. The atrocities, and I'm not going to go through all the atrocities. We We could give you examples of the atrocities that Assyria committed against Israel. For sensitive, for sensitive audiences, I'm not going to do that. Let's just say that it is unimaginable what Assyria committed against Israel. These were the sworn enemies of God's people, and they had worked great, great evil against Israel. God sees their evil, and God also sees the disaster coming, and he sends his servant to warn them, to condemn them for their evil And that condemnation is a grace 
I mean, I mean, if God wants to judge people, if God wants to judge the enemy of Israel, why doesn't he just wipe them out? But instead, he sends a warning to them. Why does he send a warning to them? Because, and Jonah knows this, because he's calling them to repentance. He's calling them to be saved. This is why he sends the word of the Lord. And we know Jonah knows how to do this. Jonah Jonah gets what his role is. He knows that he is to go and proclaim the word of the Lord so that God's people can hear it and be rescued from their sin. But in this case, God wants him to go to their enemy. God desires, this is the point, God desires to show mercy, to extend mercy to his enemies. Do you know that? God desires to show mercy, to extend mercy to his enemies. What is Jonah going to do? Verse 3, we see Jonah's desperate plight. Jonah is given a privileged commission, a commission to speak a message of unthinkable mercy. And instead of obeying, he flees in desperation. Jonah's desperate plight. What we usually see when the word of the Lord comes to a prophet The word of the Lord comes to a prophet, and then the prophet does according to the word of the Lord. That's what we usually see. That's what we expect. That's what the reader should expect. But Jonah, not and Jonah did according to the word of the Lord, but but Jonah rose to flee. The urgency that he was to go and deliver this message of unthinkable mercy, that urgency, he has the urgency, but it's to flee instead of to obey. Jonah arises to to flee. You see the same urgency, but in the other direction, the opposite direction of where he's supposed to go. And he goes down, it says. Yahweh had said, arise, go up. Go to Nineveh, but you see Jonah going down. You see that verse 3, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Instead of going up, he goes down. This is literally intentional. Jonah is being disobedient instead of going up to fulfill his commission He is going down away from the presence of the Lord. Now, what is meant by the presence of the Lord? I think this is going to be new for some of you. When it says that he's fleeing from the presence of the Lord, this is not talking about Jonah's attempt to flee from the omnipresence of God. Okay, He's not trying to get away from the omnipresence of God. Psalm 139, David tells us that wherever he goes, God is there. There is no getting away from the omnipresence of God of God. There's no getting away from God's omnipresence, okay? This is not Jonah's attempt to get away or to flee from the omnipresence of God. Instead, it is a reference 
to the divine blessing and favor, the presence of God is, as we see many times throughout the Psalms, the presence of God is the satisfaction of his people. It is their joy. It is their blessing. It is their desire. The presence of Yahweh is where blessing and favor are found for God's people. Do you remember this? This is what they want. This is what God's people long for, is to live in the presence of Yahweh. This is where his blessing is found. This is where favor is found. This is where the covenant promises are realized. A blessing and favor connected to the land in which they live. We could do a whole lecture of divine presence regarding divine presence in the Old Testament. But for our purposes here this morning, it's important to understand that when Jonah flees, he he is not fleeing the omnipresence of God. He is fleeing that place of divine favor and blessing. He is fleeing that place of divine purpose for his life. To be set outside of the presence of Yahweh is to experience the disfavor of God. For the prophet, especially, the presence of Yahweh is where he stands to receive the word of the Lord. It's very important to understand that. This is where he receives his commission. This is where he enjoys the divine favor of Yahweh and the blessing of Yahweh. When Jonah flees the presence of the Lord, he is laying down his commission. That's what he's doing. He's fleeing from his role as the prophet of Yahweh. He is running as fast as he can in the opposite direction, not because he thinks there's some place he can go where God can't find him, but because he doesn't want to fulfill and carry out the commission that he has been called to. And he is willing, and you'll see this throughout the entire book, he is willing to forsake the divine favor and blessing of Yahweh if it means that he does not have to speak mercy to his enemies. Jonah's forsaking his role. And instead of being blessed, he is choosing curse and chaos. He is choosing death. If you know the story of Jonah, if you've read it through a couple times this week, as I hope you have, you will see him actually say this a couple of different times. Kill me! I would rather die! I would rather die than have these people receive mercy! How how in the world do you ever get to that point? I think we are a lot closer to that than than you realize. Jonah forsakes his divine commission and with it the blessing and favor that come with it. He would rather die. He would rather, and this is the picture of going down, he would rather go down into death than live in the favor and blessing of obedience. 
Why was Jonah willing to forsake the divine favor and blessing of Yahweh? Well, he will tell us later in the story. He will actually tell us. Did you know that, that Jonah doesn't go to Nineveh not because he's afraid that they will slap him with fish? Did you know that? If you've watched the Veggie Tales, that's how horrible it is. It's terrible, terrible. Jonah actually tells us why he doesn't want to go to Nineveh. He tells us that. It would be a good exercise for your kids to read. Maybe as a family, read. Can you find out where Jonah tells us why he didn't go to Nineveh? He tells us explicitly in the story. The challenge for your kids would be to read and to see if they can tell you and explain why he did not go to Nineveh. Why did he flee God's presence? But I, I want to, and, and, and again, I, I kind of give you some spoiler alerts here. This is very difficult to do only three verses and not get into all of Jonah, but we are a little bit. The next five weeks is going to be a lot of the same, and this is good for us. The book of Jonah has, has some very important themes woven throughout the entire book, and we see the beginnings of those themes even here in the first three verses. Why does Jonah not go? Why, does he, why is he willing to forsake divine favor and blessing in disobedience? Well, there are two major tensions in Jonah's theology expressed here in the book of Jonah. There are two major tensions. First, tension number one, theological tension number one. How can God be just and, at the same time, extend mercy to the wicked? It's a very important question. How can God be just and, at the same time, extend mercy to the wicked? See, Jonah believes in something called the doctrine of divine retribution. Have you heard of the doctrine of divine retribution? Divine retribution is covering or covers the entire Old Testament. Here, here is the doctrine of divine retribution in a nutshell. The righteous are blessed. The wicked are judged. This, this is a very simple, straightforward theological conviction that the Old Testament has. The righteous are blessed and the wicked are judged. Do you remember Job's friends? Job's friends believed very strongly in the doctrine of divine retribution. When Job suffered, they came to him and said, well, you must have done something wrong. Job says, I've not done anything wrong. In fact, the book, book describes him as a righteous and blameless man, one who feared the Lord. He feared Yahweh. And his friends come and say, no, no, there's something in your life that is causing God to make you suffer. And Jonah says, no, I'm innocent. Job's friends say, no, that can't be. Because we know how divine retribution works. Those who are suffering, their suffering is a proof that God is displeased with them. Their suffering is a proof that God is judging them for their wickedness. That's the way it works. It's not just the Old Testament that has this. We find it all in the book of Proverbs, Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is a great place where we see this. 
right? Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, bringeth forth his fruit in the season. His leaf will not wither. Whatever he does will prosper. That's what Psalm 1 says. But the wicked are not so. They are like the chaff which the wind drives away. That's the way it works. And when you come to the New Testament, that's still the way it's working. Remember the blind man that Jesus heals? And they say, what sin did this man commit? He must have committed a sin because no one's blind unless they are wicked. This is God's judgment upon their lives. Maybe them or maybe his parents have sinned. This is divine retribution. And I got to tell you, there's something about this, right? It's true. The righteous are blessed and the wicked will be judged. It's true. It's just not complete. Do you find that theology is complex? Or, or no. See, I, I think our danger is that we don't think it's that complex. We, we like black and white. We, we like the simplicity, right? Do bad, get judged. Do good, be blessed. And, and that, is, that is very simple. But that is not the way it works. And Jonah is struggling with that. How can God be just? and yet extend mercy to wicked people. This messes with his doctrine of divine retribution. Every Israelite, as they should have and would have, believes strongly. Every Israelite believes strongly in their place as God's people. They believe strongly. They are big believers in the doctrine of election. They are God's people, and they will experience God's blessing. This is why Jonah has no hesitation to go and speak mercy to Israel even though they are in great wickedness. He has no problem. There is no problem in his mind with speaking mercy to God's people even though they are wicked. And yet when he is to extend the same mercy to Israel's enemies, that is unthinkable. Because he believes strongly in his place as God's people, as the chosen ones of God. God's election. The second tension that Jonah faces is connected very closely to the first. The second tension that Jonah faces is this. It's a question. How can God say he loves, how can God profess his love to his chosen people and at the same time extend mercy to their enemies? How can God say he loves us as God's people and yet extend mercy to those who kill us? Isn't isn't giving mercy to the oppressor hatred to those that are oppressed? If we give mercy to those who are killing us, doesn't that diminish Our place is God's beloved? This is the question in Jonah's mind. And these are good questions. These are important questions. And questions that will be the theme or themes throughout the entire book of Jonah. God's justice is in question, as well as the place that Israel possesses as God's people. How will these two tensions be solved? We'll find out through the coming weeks. 
how these tensions flush themselves out. But I want to I want to I want to stop there and and take our attention to where it really needs to be this morning. I want to look to the person of of Christ. I want to call your attention to these same two tensions. But I I want us to look at Christ. How does Christ, how does the gospel connect to Jonah 1, 1 through 3? God's initiative of unthinkable mercy. God's initiative of scandalous, unthinkable, unimaginable mercy requires a willing servant to go and to proclaim this news of mercy to God's enemies. And this is who Christ is. Christ is the willing servant. Jonah was unwilling. Christ is the willing servant who was sent from the presence of Yahweh, from God's very presence. He was sent with a mission. He was commissioned by the Father to come not to those who are lovely, not to those who deserve mercy, but he was sent on a mission, given a commission from the presence of God to go to those who are his enemies. Do you see that? A mission of unthinkable mercy. Romans 5a says, God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ comes on a mission of unthinkable mercy, a mission to save the enemies of God. One of the most important realities that you can ever come to and realize is that you and I, we are enemies of God. We are enemies of God. And because we are enemies of God, we are not those who deserve blessing. Instead, we are the ones who deserve judgment. We are His enemies. The atrocities that we have committed against God, the sin that we have heaped up against God and against His King, we we cannot imagine. And yet God has sent His only Son on a mission of unthinkable mercy to bring mercy to His enemies. How can God be just? And extend mercy to his enemies. The solution is found in Christ. This is Romans 3. He is just and the justifier. How, how does he remain just and bring salvation to his enemies? The solution is Christ himself. The propitiation, the atonement that Christ has won for us. Christ 
Get this. Christ took the judgment for sin upon Himself. God's judgment was not diminished. God did not forget or pass over our sin. No, He dealt with our sin in the person of Christ. He poured out His wrath upon His own Son. Jesus received the wrath, the judgment that we deserve so that God remains just. And through Christ's sacrifice, He can now forgive the sinner because wrath, judgment has been given. God is just and the executor of perfect justice. But to the second question, doesn't this, doesn't this diminish Christ's glory? If, if God is willing to save us, and he's willing to pour out justice and judgment upon his son for our sake, doesn't this diminish the value of Christ and elevate our value are we preferred over Christ? Has God diminished his love for his beloved so that he can extend love and mercy to the enemies? The answer is no. In fact, in fact, get this. This is, this is more than anything what has gripped me this week. The fact that God has chosen to send His Son does not diminish His love for His Son. It elevates His love for His Son. God loves His Son. He has commissioned His Son and given His Son a place of privilege. He has given His Son a place of preeminence. It is through His Son that He has worked salvation for wicked people it is His Son that has elevated and demonstrated His glory and His love and His wrath and His patience and His mercy. It is through His Son. The choice to use His Son for this mission has not diminished His value. It has elevated His value. It has highlighted His value. It has emphasized His value. And now, the application to us You see, we are God's enemies. We were God's enemies. Deserving of judgment, not mercy. But God, through His precious Son, has called us, extended mercy to us to bring us in and make us sons and daughters. We sang about that a few minutes ago. He has given His enemies mercy he has made us right through His Son. He has made us right with Him. Reconciled us to God. We are no longer His enemies. And we have been given the place of God's chosen people. We are, get this, we are the elect of God. We are the chosen ones of God. And just as Jonah received a commission by God to speak and proclaim mercy to His enemies, we too, as God's chosen people, we have been given this same commission to speak the mercy of God to the nations. This is our place. This is what we were elected for. 
You know, we struggle with that doctrine of election, don't we, sometimes? God has chosen to save us, and that should be encouraging to us. But that special, privileged calling that we have is not just for our own benefit. It is for the benefit of the nations. He's called you. He's elected you. He's saved you so that you would proclaim his mercy to the nations. Have we not been given a privileged commission as the elect of God? Those who by God's unthinkable mercy have been made one with Christ? Join heirs of eternal life. Have we not, like the prophets of old and the apostles who came behind them, have we not been built upon their shoulders, been made recipients of divine revelation? Have we not been recipients of divine revelation even this morning? We can read God's word. We can see what God has said. We are recipients of divine revelation and truth. Have we not ourselves been recipients of unthinkable, undeserved mercy? What then is our role in the earth today? What do we exist for? Are we to be rebellious to God's call upon our lives? And be so self-interested, so, so closed in upon ourselves and our own concerns that we forget what we have been saved for. We are ready to declare the reality of the evil in the world and decry the injustices of the world. Don't we find that easy to do? Look around you. Look at the evil that exists in the world today. And even at times, cry out for God to bring justice. God, when are you going to fix this? Where are you going to rid us of this evil? When are you going to do something about the evil of the world? We are ever ready to ask God to bring justice and judgment upon the world. But do we realize what God has done? Do we realize what God has done to answer the evil of the world today? What has God done to answer the evil of the world today? What has he done? He has given his son to answer the evil of the world Upon Christ was poured out all of the justice and all of the wrath against sin. And he has made us ambassadors of that mercy. What has he done to answer the evil of the day? Next time you ask yourself that question, I want you to do something. I want you to get up from wherever you are and I want you to walk into your restroom or maybe into your bedroom where you have a mirror and I want you to look into the mirror. And I want you to remind yourself who you were. I want you to tell yourself, I was born the enemy of God. And I have been shown unthinkable mercy. And then I want you to tell yourself, God has given me to speak into the evil of the world. Christian, we live in an evil world. Jonah lived in an evil world. Jonah was commissioned by God to go into that evil world and speak about the unthinkable mercy of Yahweh, and Jonah fled. 
With haste he fled. But how close we are to Jonah. Because we also have been made recipients of divine mercy. We also have been commissioned by God. We have been given a privileged place. Do you know that? We've been given a privileged place as God's people. And when we neglect and refuse to proclaim that message of mercy, we choose to forsake divine blessing and favor and run the other way to preserve ourselves Disobey the commission, lay down the commission that we've been given. Have we not been given a commission by our Lord? As we've talked recently, that commission in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus takes blessing and he turns it on its head. That's what we've read over the last few weeks. The end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Blessed are those who are, what? Persecuted. Blessed are you when you are persecuted. And, and all manner of evil things are said against you. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for my sake. See, the blessing is found in His presence being connected to Him. That's the blessing. And for God's people today, that is not going to be a mission of ease or comfort. That's not going to be one that is going to be easy for you to step into. And it will come with persecution. It will come with those saying all manner of evil things against you. It will come with people hating you, even people from your own family saying, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. It will come with that. And that's why I think many of us say, no, no, I'm going to lay down my commission. I'm going to flee. Ready to proclaim God's mercy to me, but not so quick, not so ready, not so urgent to speak God's mercy to those who are still in darkness. I'm praying for us through this series that God would create in us, cause us to see our role here in Spokane Valley. That there are those who are God's enemies who need to hear of His mercy. And He's not calling someone else to that. He's calling us to that. He's given us that place. And that doesn't devalue us not throwing us to the wolves. No, he is elevating our place. This, this is what it means to be God's beloved people. This is our role. Father, we thank you for the message of this book, this small book. We thank you for this commission that we have received. More than anything, we thank you for Christ. He was sent for his enemies. 
And unlike Jonah, he stepped willingly. He stepped willingly into that task. And he came and laid down his life for those who cursed him, for those who hated him. He laid down his life. And he took up his life again, risen from the dead. And with his resurrection, he brings salvation for those same enemies who killed him for us. And now we have been given this opportunity, this call upon our lives to speak of your mercy to those who are even our enemies, to those who it is unthinkable that you would extend mercy to them. How quick we are. Please, Lord, forgive us for our judgmentalism. Forgive us for our judgmental spirit. How quick we are to hate others and to bring judgment upon others when we ourselves have been recipients of such mercy. Do your work in our hearts now, I pray, this morning. In your name, amen.